So we all pray before tests, don't we? You're about to take a test. Even if you're not religious at all, you all, we all pray and say, God, I need your help. Some of us, that prayer before a test is more like we're asking Jesus to turn water into wine. I mean, like, we, we, we're asking for a miracle. I don't know how to spell. I've never read anything about science. I can't add two plus two. But Jesus, please make me a mathematician or a scientist in your name. Change my water into wine and make me a good student. Some of you have been praying like that, haven't you? Maybe it's more like you studied and you learned and you're begging God, help me to remember, help me to remember how to parallel park, help me to remember this math or this you ask God for help. I think everyone does ask God to help when we face some kind of test or struggle. Unless you're that student, that person that's kind of like a brain on a stick. You're a walking, talking sort of SAT prep course. You always get everything right. If you're that person, I'm not sure you ask God for help because you have everything you need right inside that brain of yours. You're not asking for God to help you at all. And I've sort of been wondering if Jesus was like that. I was wondering if Jesus, because he's God and he's perfect, was he that student in high school or college that drove you nuts, right? Like before any tests, he didn't have to study. He always had his hand up with the question and always had the right answer. Was he the kid on the recess that you just wanted to beat up because he was the teacher's pet. I wonder if Jesus always colored in the lines. Is his perfection, does that mean that he always did everything right and he was the smartest, best kid in the class who never needed to ask God for help because he could do it in his own smarts and abilities? I think we look at Jesus, the Son of God, in that way. But I'm not sure that's what the Bible teaches. So we're in this series looking at who is this unseen person, the Holy Spirit. And we're learning about the work and role of the Spirit in our lives. And most of us don't think about this or realize it, but it was the Holy Spirit who helped Jesus pass every test. Yes, fully God. Yes, sinless and perfect. But in his humanity, how did he do it? Just like we depend on the Holy Spirit and trust he's going to have an active role in our lives, Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit to have an active role in his life. But we often overlook that or we don't think that way. We think he's just kind of like Superman and the best SAT guy ever and had all the answers and all the abilities. Oh, watch what we learned today in Matthew chapter four. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter four, the gospel of Matthew, middle of your Bible, Matthew chapter four. We're gonna look at this very well-known account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Jesus goes through a temptation. And we're going to notice some things about how he navigates temptation that I think applies to you and me just interesting side note, the word temptation here in Matthew chapter 4 could also be translated test. Jesus goes through a temptation, a test. And just like you and I go through tests and temptations, Jesus went through, and how did he do it? He did it by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. So we have something to learn here, some pretty interesting ways we can connect and understand the role of the Spirit and how he helped Jesus is how he helps us today. Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell those stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, God will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Would you pray with me? God, your word is alive and active. It's intended to work in our hearts and minds. These words from scripture have the ability to today to change us Give us the ability to set aside distraction, to set aside our struggles or our joys, our plans. Help us in this moment, whether at home, here on campus, to just be still enough and humble enough to hear from you. God, we chase after all kinds of pleasures in this world. We think sex and money, drugs, alcohol, popularity, work, relationships. We think all of these things will satisfy us, but it's only you who can satisfy us. It's only your truths that will last forever. So awaken us today as we approach these words that may be familiar. Awaken us to how you work through Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, and how we can learn from him, how to navigate all the temptations and tests we face here in 2021. I pray this in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen. It's easy to think when you read this passage of scripture that Jesus is just Superman. It's easy to look at it and go, I couldn't do what Jesus did. I mean, he has this epic battle in a wilderness with the devil. And Jesus wins, and of course he wins, right? It's easy just to dismiss this as, well, Jesus is God. Of course he wins. I can't relate to this. But what if Jesus shared more similarities with us than we realize? What if his humanity and his tests and his temptations, he navigated it the same way we can? Wouldn't that be so encouraging? So let's look at Matthew 4.1. Just see the role of the Spirit in this temptation test scene 
Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I mean, that sentence is action-packed. Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So much there to unpack. But that phrase, then Jesus was led, then. Then Jesus was led. Clearly, something happened before a lead up to this moment when Jesus was then led into the wilderness to be tempted. Something happened beforehand. The Holy Spirit had a role before this moment. Remember, Jesus was born in his birth narrative. The angel tells Mary, hey, Mary, you're going to have a child. And Mary's smart, and she goes, but I'm a virgin. How is this going to be? The Holy Spirit will come on you, remember? And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So right out of the gate, we know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we know the Bible teaches us that Jesus was sinless, without sin. And we wind up taking that sinlessness to mean that he always colored in the lines perfectly in kindergarten. We, we take his sinless perfection to mean that Jesus knew his ABCs before he was one. That he never tripped and fell. He never grew and changed. We take this sinless perfection part of the Bible and we, and we think he didn't develop, and yet that's not what the Bible teaches. From his birth narrative, at the end of it, Luke tells us, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So Jesus, fully God, fully man, grew and became strong. That means he learned his ABCs, and he colored outside the lines, and his teacher was like, now color inside the lines, Jesus, and he learned and he grew. It didn't mean perfection. It didn't mean that he got straight A's. It didn't mean that he was a goody two-shoes that you wanted to beat up on recess. He was a normal boy who grew into a normal teenager. And Jesus made his parents mad, right? Every teenage boy does. So you have this scene in Luke where you find out that Jesus at 12 years old, remember the story? Go back and read it in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, at 12 years old, this family go up to this big religious festival and everybody's having fun and there's all kinds of commotion and Jesus' parents leave to go home and they forget Jesus and they're all freaking out and they go back and they find Jesus at the temple talking to the religious leaders about God and they say, Jesus, why have you done this to, him, to, to us? And Jesus, sinless Jesus, still has a little snark in his response, I think. He says, why were you looking for me anywhere else? I was here at church. It's like I would imagine Mary and Joseph wanted to choke him in that moment. What do you mean, why were we looking for you? Of course you had to be here. Again, sinless, but I think he drove his parents probably crazy, just like you. And Luke chapter 2, verse 55, right after this, goes on to say, then Jesus went down to Nazareth. So right after this happens, he goes down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You see, he's a growing, changing young man, just like you and me. 
teenage student Jesus becomes adult carpenter Jesus. He's dealing with the ups and downs of life. Jesus is learning how to make a hard day's wage, works hard with his hands. He sees his world in political turmoil. He watches successes and failures, experiences successes and failures just like you and me. Yet he's always pursuing a relationship with God, eager to hear and learn the word of God. When synagogue is open, he's there and putting into practice at every step the grace and the truth of God. So we get all this detail from Luke about his birth. We hear that he has to grow and change. He's growing and changing. We see this detail of him at the temple where he's talking to all the religious leaders. And you fast forward to 30 years old, we kind of hear nothing except he's a carpenter and he's learning and he's growing and he's learning and he's growing. And we get to his baptism scene. So you have his birth narrative, you have him at 12 years old. We kind of have silence and it gets to his baptism scene. Remember, we learned about this a couple weeks ago. Everybody in his region was listening to this one preacher who's saying the kingdom of God is near, repent and be baptized. Jesus wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God and wanted to be a follower of the kingdom. So he goes and he's baptized. Remember his baptism scene, something pretty interesting happens. He goes down into the water to be baptized and a dove flies by. It's the spirit of God flies by. And then a voice says, this is my son whom I love in whom I'm well pleased. Remember this scene? And from that moment on, everything takes a right turn and begins to change. No longer is he quiet carpenter Jesus who works with his hands to build things. Now he's going to be teacher Jesus who's going to work with his hands to heal things. This right turn happens. He's now a traveling teacher who performs miracles, announces the kingdom of God. What was in that baptism water? I mean, like what happened in that water to make that right turn happen? My opinion Clearly, the Holy Spirit was at work in Jesus' life from conception, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Clearly, the Holy Spirit was in his life working to help him to say no to sin and yes to God at every occasion. Mark's gospel says that when the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove, clearly fully God, fully man, something happens. Something happens that changes this carpenter into a teacher. And I wonder, just my opinion, I wonder if in that moment, the eternal Son of God in human form is indwelt by the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. I wonder if the second person of the Godhead supercharges Jesus' life from that moment on and he begins to heal and to preach and to teach and to walk on water up to this point, the Gospel of Luke says Jesus is growing and maturing. 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 Then his baptism in Luke chapter 4, something switches. It says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, language change. Full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. You see that phrase, full of the Holy Spirit? Luke, he's growing in wisdom, he's growing in wisdom, he's growing in wisdom. Baptism, full of the Holy Spirit, and his life changes. His ministry supercharged. Here's why this is so important. Are you ready? When we think of Jesus like he's Superman, we can't relate to him at all. We think everything he does, every way he walked and talked and acted, that's Superman, that's God. 
The reason he taught the way he did, the reason he helped people, the way he loved, the way he taught, the way he acted, that's all because he's fully God. Yes, he is fully God, but he's also fully man, which means Jesus lived a supernatural life because he was submissive to the spirit of God. How did he do all of those as fully human? He submitted himself to the third person of the Trinity, to the spirit of God. And the same Holy Spirit that's alive and active in this world today can help you. Just like the spirit of God helped Jesus in all his tests and temptations, he can help you. Because if, it's just God, if he's just God and not fully man and not reliant on the Holy Spirit, then we can't relate to him. But if he is fully relying on the Holy Spirit, then I, I got more in common with this Jesus. Listen to Philippians chapter two, what Paul says, describing Jesus says, who being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. What does this mean? When Jesus faced temptation and tests, he didn't use his God card. That's what it means. It means when he's learning how to color, he doesn't use his omnipotence to command the crayon. He could have said, crayon, I made you stay in the lines. That's not what he did. He learned how to color in the lines. He didn't use his omniscience to know what was on the SATs and go, well, I know in advance what's on the SATs and therefore I'll get all the questions right. No, he studied, he learned, he grew. No, Jesus voluntarily limited the exercise of his divinity and walked on earth in full submission to the Holy Spirit of God. And man, is that practical for you and me. So let's look again at Matthew chapter four, verse one. Jesus is baptized, that's the context. All of that is the context, but when Matthew says, then Jesus led by the Spirit, all of that's context. Then Jesus, with all of that in mind, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he's baptized, and the Spirit prompts him to go into the wilderness. Mark actually uses the word, he drove, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Like, get in the car, Jesus, we're going to the wilderness. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means the Spirit of God prompted Jesus, compelled Jesus to go to the wilderness. Did Jesus have a choice? Yes, he had a choice. He could have said no. No, but he submitted to the Spirit of God and said, Spirit of God, you're prompting me, you're leading me, I will go into the wilderness. Now think about going to the wilderness alone. It's kind of like a little camping trip, right? It's kind of, that'll be fun, right? 40 days alone in the wilderness, right? A little solo time, sunset, quiet, beautiful time alone with God. But the wilderness is also a place where wild animals are. And Jesus is a real person. So I think I'm sure he enjoyed some quiet time alone with God, but at night when things started to howl and insects started to buzz, Jesus is like you and me in every way. So those things happened and occurred, and he's like, whoa, did you hear that? 
Like, that was scary. I wonder what that is. Real person like you and me. Verse 2, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. If you were alone in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, how hungry would you be, class? Right? This isn't like playtime. This is real stuff. Jesus was really hungry. I can't say he was hangry. I would be hangry. But he was perfect, so I guess he wasn't angry, but he was really hungry just like you and me. And that's the moment when the devil comes and tempts Jesus. When Jesus is alone for 40 days, when Jesus is hungry, when Jesus is tired, you think he might have been vulnerable to attack? When you're hungry, tired, and alone, are you vulnerable? Jesus is vulnerable, and the devil comes in three very distinct temptations. First, he appeals to Jesus' appetite and says to him, hey, eat something. He's like an Italian grandmother. Eat, eat, manja, manja. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. He quotes scripture. Second, the devil says, God will also protect you. Yeah, so, so why don't you test to see how much he loves you why don't you jump off this, throw yourself down from this high place? And Jesus quotes the Bible again and says, don't put the God, Lord your God to the test. The third time, Satan says, I'll give you everything you want, power over everything, if you just worship me. Jesus says, get away from me. He quotes the Bible a third time. I worship God and I serve him alone. Satan is testing. He's tempting and Jesus' response is to quote the truth of the Bible. Interesting. How did he do that? How did he do that? I would submit to you, he did that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus loved the Bible. Yes, he loved God. Yes, he had a relationship with God. But in that vulnerable moment when he's tired and these attacks are real and strong, the Spirit of God comes and brings the truth of God to Jesus' mind, and he quotes these truths, saying no to temptation and yes to God. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did it without sin. Vulnerable, facing temptation, the Spirit of God works in such a way in the Son of God that causes him to speak these truths and believe these truths. After 40 days in the wilderness, you follow the rest of the story. He faces down Satan's temptations. Jesus begins his formal ministry. He starts to heal. He starts to teach. He starts to usher in the kingdom of God. For three and a half years, he lives in a very public way. Right? He calls these disciples to follow him, and he teaches them. And then after three years or so, he starts really talking about, hey guys, I'm going away. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna have to rise again. I'm gonna send back to my father. But guys, listen, everything I taught you, everything I told you, everything I demonstrated to you, I'm leaving and going away, but I want you to carry out my work on earth. Can you imagine the disciples after being with Jesus front and center for three and a half years and Jesus is like, I'm outie, guys. I'm leaving. 
but I want you to keep going. You'd be like, what, are you kidding me? How are we gonna do this? Jesus says to him, don't, don't worry. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Don't worry. John 14, 25, all this I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. I have much more to say to you, he says, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus says the spirit is what will help you, remind you, guide you, strengthen you to remember and follow all that I've commanded you. He says to them, don't worry. And it's not just an intellectual don't worry. Jesus doesn't just say to them, guys, you know, intellectually, the Spirit of God is who guides you and who will teach you and who will lead you. He goes, no, let me tell you something. For the last 30 plus years, I have walked on earth and the Spirit of God has helped me. These last three and a half years, when I faced all kinds of difficulty, it's the Spirit of God who's helped me. Remember that time I was alone in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and I told you Satan tempted me? It was the Spirit of truth that came into me and helped me to overpower Satan in that moment. And you know, guys, in a moment, I'm gonna die and rise again, and I'm gonna face that persecution and that torture with the help of the Holy Spirit. So when I tell you, don't worry, I'm telling you from experience. I'm telling you because the Spirit of God has comforted and helped me. So now remember, he's going to help you. Don't worry. The Spirit will help you. I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's make this super practical. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No, I mean it. Get your Bibles out and turn there. This is, so, this is so important, this verse. One worth you memorizing. Because this is where it's really, really practical. Here's the deal. We all face tests and temptations of all kinds, don't we? All of us. We all face the test to believe God or to not believe God. To listen to our feelings and say there is no God or to follow God and to obey God. We all face temptations to believe that sex is going to make us happy, to believe that relationships are going to make us happy, that drugs and alcohol are going to numb our problems, that I can comfort eat and make myself feel better. We all face temptations of all kinds, temptation to gossip, to slander, to be racist, to be sexist. We all face tests and temptations each and every day. So did the Son of God. He understands and knows that about you and me. And every test and temptation I face, I have the opportunity to grow and lean into God and look more like his Son or to backslide and move away into darkness and to pain and shame and look like something so far from God. Every test and temptation is an opportunity for you and me to either grow and walk in the light or fall and slide back into darkness. And God knows that about you and me. He walked this earth, he understands. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 
13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. There's nothing new under the sun, friends. The first man and woman faced temptation and struggle. The Son of God in human flesh faced temptation and struggle. People before us and people after us. There is no temptation that's overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He's a good father. He knows you. He's not going to put you in a test or temptation that you're over your head. But when you are tempted, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What is that way out? What's he going to give you, a magic wand? What's the way out? The way out is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our way out of temptation. The Spirit of truth who will guide and advocate and encourage and empower. This Spirit of truth comes alongside us to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to remind us of what is true and what is false. Spirit of truth comes to give us a way out. But you know what? So many of us, we say we want a way out, but mm, when you have a struggle at home, how hard is it to call a plumber, some of you gentlemen? I'll fix it myself, right? You got a problem in your marriage? We'll fix it. We'll get there. We'll do it. We can do it. We can do it on our own. Problem with the kids, we, we got it. We'll just try to do this, change this. We, we got it. We're not going to tell anybody. We don't want to tell anybody we're struggling with alcohol. We're not going to say to anybody, I, I got to struggle with nicotine. I'm not going to say anything. I got to struggle with porn. I'll fix it. I won't go back to the porn again. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. Promise, 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 promise. We all think we can do it by ourselves. So we don't want help let alone spiritual help when we have doubts and temptations that happen over and over and over again. I don't need any help. But God has provided for us a helper, an advocate, the spirit of truth who wants to come and help you when you face tests and temptations of every kind. You see, when Jesus was vulnerable, tired, susceptible to attack, he listened and submitted to the Spirit of God, believed those truths, claimed those truths, and that's what got him out of temptation. No temptation seized him except that was common to man. And God provided him, the Son of God, a way out. And he wants to do the same thing for you. So when Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil was tempting and the Spirit was hovering. And when you're in the wilderness... The evil one is tempting, and all kinds of things come your way, but the Spirit of God is hovering close by and wants to help you. But are you willing to ask and submit to the Spirit's help? Or are you strong and you can do it yourself? How many times have you promised yourself that? How many times you failed? Instead of saying, no, I need help. I'm struggling, God. I need your spirit to invade my heart. I submit myself to you. Here's the deal with the spirit of God. Sometimes the spirit in a, 
in a test or a temptation is going to whisper something really quiet and you're here. Go this way. No, not that. Don't touch that. Don't look there. Don't click there. Don't. Just a quiet, still little voice. Will you listen and yield? Sometimes the Spirit of God, the way he works, is through the pages of your scripture. You're reading the Bible and he makes a clear command. Don't grumble. Don't gossip. That's the Spirit of God guiding you. There's no favoritism, no racism in the kingdom. That's the Spirit of God speaking off the pages of Scripture as your compass and your guide to lead you through all the temptations and tests you face. Sometimes the Spirit of God, the way he provides a way out for you and me, is through other people. The Spirit of God is inside me by faith in Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God is inside you by faith in Jesus Christ. When I'm going through a struggle or a temptation, and I don't know where to turn, and I ask somebody in my small group or someone in my, my ABF class, if I ask somebody in my counseling office to help me, and the Spirit of God tells me something to do through them, I have a choice to yield or to do it by myself. And so many times, we say we want help, and the Spirit of God whispers, the Spirit of God commands on the pages of the Bible, the Spirit of God talks through another person, but do you really want help? Or are you just gonna do it yourself again and fail the test, the temptation again? God's Spirit is alive and active. He was alive and active through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, He's alive and active in you. If you've put your trust in him, he is the guide, the advocate, the spirit of truth to lead you out and into peace. But are you humble enough to listen? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for sending your son and sending your spirit by faith in your Son, we have your Spirit living inside us. How many times, God, we ignore the help you've already provided. So with every temptation and test that we find ourselves in, give us a humble spirit. Use your Spirit to convict us of sin Convict us of arrogance, convict us of self-focus and independence. Use your spirit to lead us towards what is true and lead us towards the pages of the Bible and lead us towards people in our lives who have truth to impart to us. We want to look like Jesus. So that when tests and temptations come, we don't want to backslide and fall backward into darkness and shame. We want to fall on you and fall towards light and hope. So do what we can't do within ourselves. Help us, Holy Spirit, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.